Fulhamish is back for the season by Ladbrokes. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. It's Fulhamish Extra, your extra slice of Fulham FC content. How's it going? My name's Sammy James. Thank you for listening today. And today we're going to try and look away from the past month's difficult results and ahead to some very important and winnable fixtures in October and November. And I'm joined today on Fulhamish Extra by Jack Collins. How are you doing, Jack? Not too bad, mate. How are you? How, I'm all right, thank you. How was your international break out of 10? Yeah, I had a, you know, a reasonably good time. I, I like the international break. You know, most people don't, obviously, but... You know, I'm as a huge, you know, Macedonia, Serbia, Kosovo, all those. I mean, following my, my League D, your Nations League teams around and, and having a good time. I've been enjoying myself. I think it's always right when football fans during the international break have an international break of their own. And I feel like I didn't do it properly this time because I stayed in the UK. But you did leave these shores. I did. I, I, I touched down on home shore for a little while. I went back to Dublin. And did you have a very nice time? I did. I had a lovely time. I was following a band called The Manor around, so that was good. We had a good time. Did you drink some pure Guinness straight from source? I drank some really good Guinness. I found arguably the best pint of Guinness in Dublin. This is a really hot topic, but the gravediggers out there at North Dublin was a, was a good shout for me. Any Irish fans from Let's Dublin, touch. if you're listening, please do confirm whether Jack Collins is right about that particular pub. Uh, just to say before we start the podcast that Fulhamish is back for the season by Labricks. For exclusive specials and promotions, head to bet.fulhamish.co.uk. Uh, and while we're doing admin, uh, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a podcast review on either Apple Podcasts or if you don't use Apple or iTunes or anything like that, you can also go onto our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Fulhamish, and please do help us spread the word about this this podcast we all know and love spread the gospel so on saturday fulham are facing cardiff at the cardiff city stadium we leave england and we head into wales for a very very important fixture uh, cardiff on a run of six consecutive defeats in all competitions jack uh, two points to their name so far this season how much of a must win is this because there are levels of must win aren't there the playoff final was a must win Portsmouth in the great escape was a must win this is kind of a 50% must win yes we do need to get a result but also we probably will survive maybe not in the Premier League but we, we, there are going to be more chances to get points if you see what I mean yeah and obviously it's not you know end of the world dynamite kind of if we lose but I think it would set a horrible precedent that if we were losing to what everyone considers to be the weakest side in the Premier League and I don't even particularly mean that in a disrespectful way it's it's more that Cardiff haven't strengthened in Premier League quality to to an extent and yes there are exceptions to that rule Harry Arter Camarasso came in from from Betis and there are you know they do have some good players but ultimately you know, quite widely accepted as the weakest team in this division. And if we are going to survive these games, we need to win. So they've scored four goals this season. I found this quite an interesting stat. Three of those have come in games against Arsenal and Chelsea, which is all rather bizarre. It's a it's very old school Fulham, isn't it? We used to score those against the big teams yeah. and struggle against the, the little ones. But, you know, I, I do think that they're not particularly good, is the truth. I still think they'll score against us because who doesn't? But yeah. ultimately... You know, we need to be outscoring a side like Cardiff. The only thing I'd say about that is the fact that they haven't lost by lots of goals, really, at any point, apart from City, who, yeah. who did a job Chelsea, on Chelsea, arguably, but again, we're talking about 
two of the three strongest sides in the league. Yeah, and and you know most teams have have ground out sort of one nils, two ones against them. They've just struggled to score, and and I do worry a little bit about the kind of fragility of our defence. And hopefully we'll see a turning point. We hope we said this after the last international break, but hopefully that time together with Slavisa over this break has done something to you know solidify that defence and and to help him find the partnerships that he needs in there. Uh, Warnock a bit like Slavisa, still trying to work out what his best side is, the best way to try and adapt to this division. They've used 20 players uh, in the league this season, which is only one less than us. And we're widely considered to have no idea what our best 11 is uh, at the moment. So it's two clubs in quite similar scenarios, despite obviously we spent an awful lot more money in the summer than them. Yeah, of course. You know that's They signed the... a lot of players whilst not necessarily spending a lot of money on them. They did what some teams do and, and it's especially done you know, more in foreign leagues. That what they do is they pick up the cream of the talent in the division below in order to try and help them survive. And it's not the worst strategy in the world. I know a lot of people were laughing at Cardiff and saying, oh, they're preparing for life back in the championship the season after. But it's not the worst shot in the world to pick up a few little talents from on below. And you look at someone like James Madison, who's obviously landed on his feet at Leicester. I don't say they're the same calibre of players. You know, look at what Bobby Reid did in the Cup last year against Manchester City and Manchester United. And, you know, he obviously can compete I like him as a player. He scored against us, didn't he, at Ashton Gate? Yeah, I think he's a good player. Again, I'm not saying that this is the be-all and end-all and it's the strategy that's going to keep them in the division, but I also don't think it's as ludicrous a a strategy as is being suggested in some quarters. In the likes of Murphy, they've got a player who can change games on his head and obviously his twin brother's been doing that for Newcastle before this. So he's seen that that kind of... They were very similar players and in style in in caliber and for them to be looking at someone who Newcastle and other teams we were linked with him beforehand for the Cardiff to pick that kind of player up isn't a kind of derogatory motion on them I think it's probably quite a good buy the one I've been quite surprised with with Cardiff is that Neil Etheridge has kept his place in the team yep. above Alex Smithies who I think we widely on this podcast regarded as probably top two, three keepers in the championship. He was long overdue a move to the Premier League. He then moved to Cardiff and you kind of assumed that he would automatically get that number one berth. But actually, Neil Etheridge is probably one of the few Cardiff players to come out with some real credit this season. It's weird, isn't it? Because they haven't won a game and they haven't, they've had one clean sheet. Yeah. So it's strange to think that the keeper is coming out with credit. But I suppose in a similar way to, to Bettinelli here and there, and he's had you know some good games. I don't think he's had all good games, but... Etheridge has done okay. You know, he's made a couple of important penalty stops. He's made a, a couple of really crucial saves for Cardiff, and he hasn't done anything to massively warrant losing his place. And in that regard, I suppose you can't really blame Warnock for keeping him in net. Um, another former Fulham name. I think he's only been playing in the Carabao Cup for for Cardiff. Is obviously uh, Jazz Richards. Yeah, obviously we're probably not going to play him. Do you want to know an interesting fact about Neil Etheridge, by the way? Yeah, I've scored against him. Okay, and it was when I was a ball boy. They let us sort of run around after us, and the under 16s came out at half time, whatever it was. And I think we're almost exactly Absolutely. the same age. Yeah, yeah, we're almost exactly the same age, or he's a year or two above me. So they yeah. just sort of we were just sort of kicking the ball around, and he just came out, and I think they had the they had them on for a penalty shoot or something, and they were just like, oh, do you want to take a few penalties with all the ball boys? And we just sort of had a kick around. And, yeah, oh, scored a goal against Neil Etheridge. So if I can do it, lads. You've scored against Philippines' is number one. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty huge, isn't it? <laughs> it's, a hell of a, it's a hell of an achievement. Uh, there's a weird rivalry that's picked up between Fulham and Cardiff. I don't know if it's more their animosity towards us, but yeah. we do also have a bit of a snobbery uh, against Cardiff. Uh, similar to 
I think how Blackburn and Fulham developed a little bit of a rival when we came up into the Premier League. You know, Souness really didn't like Fulham, and it all kind of kicked off from that emotional night at Ewood Park and yep. in a similar vein Fulham and Cardiff seems to be kind of at loggerheads so there might be a bit of a tasty atmosphere in some ways in the ground yeah I think so you know you've got to look at ticky tacker Fulham yeah well that's it but there's a couple of reasons for this right one they're two stylistically opposite teams yeah. but Cardiff dislike the fact that we tried to lord that over them and and rightly so in some regards because while I'm not a particular fan of Warnock's football, it worked. You know, they got promoted, and, and there's something to be said for the fact that everyone wanted them to lose because they didn't play pretty football in the way that Wolves and Fulham did. But ultimately, you know, they, they did what they needed to do, and, and I think that's something to be commended rather than to be laughed at. And the kind of needle that comes out of them, therefore, being like, oh, get out of here, we beat you fair and square. And, you know, you came third, we came second, and it doesn't matter how pretty your patterns were, that's what happened at the end. It's a kind of fair enough thing. And I think that if we survived, you know, playing football in a, in a Cardiff-esque manner this season, there would be some people who wouldn't be that upset about that. No, and at the end of the day, you survive, you get promotion. This is a results game, whilst I think both myself and yourself are on the page that I want to be entertained along the yeah, way. Of course. I want to play football the right way and have the right identity, as we always refer to on this podcast. But if it gets results, it gets results. Look, I have to watch that kind of football when I watch Ireland because Ireland are rubbish at football. <laughs> and they play long ball, turgid football that sort of doesn't really entertain. It's not enjoyable to watch. You know, Ireland games aren't fun for, for even for Ireland fans. And it's just like, you watch it and you're like, this is honestly awful. But if Ireland won every game, I don't think anyone would be complaining. It's kind of one of those strange... Yeah capacities where you you're it's easy to mock it until your team's doing it and then when your team's doing it it's very like no we're doing it our way and we're getting results and and therefore that's what creates that needle if you'd have got to the world cup won that game against denmark and found yourselves in a group against some of the leading lights of international football and got through the group playing this kind of anti-football there's no way you'd be sitting in the pub depressed would you no of course not you you know those kind of smash and grab raids are great and you know while Fulham have done those in a, in a set in a different kind of manner you know we haven't really sort of lumped balls into the box and won set pieces and that kind of thing it doesn't make it any less wonderful when those goes go in at 90 minutes you know it doesn't matter if it comes off Kevin McDonald you know in the Barnsley net or Tom Kearney scored a screamer from 30 yards you celebrate them exactly the same right yeah of course so it's it's nice to have that kind of stylistic rivalry and, and I think that we all enjoy that we play good football and we, we try to get the ball on the deck and we try and expand and, and that's how I'd like to watch us play football but I don't think it means that we need to be snobbish towards Cardiff. And my brother met a Cardiff fan who was like, we hate Fulham. And he was like... When was this? Like a couple of weeks back in right. London. Okay. It was a mate of a mate, I think. He said, okay. we, ha- we hate Fulham. And Tom was like, why? You know, <laughs> why? And they were well, like, they really oh, like, do have this you thing. Think you're, you think you're better than us. And it was like, well, we're not. We, you know, it's not about that because you came above us. If you look at the table last season... Cardiff came second and Fulham came third and had to go up through the playoffs. So you ask anyone who didn't watch any of that season who the better side were, there's only going to be one answer. It's because, though, Cardiff were in that position where it probably felt like they could almost only lose. Because if they did go up, everyone was going to say, oh, well, you had a massive head start and you only just got promoted in the end. And obviously, if Fulham had have caught them up, then everyone would have been laughing at Cardiff and Neil Warnock and no one wanted Warnock to succeed. And, yeah. and the neutrals were going for Fulham. 
as well. Of course they were. Look, that's that's basically entertaining football, and and I'm not being that's not supposed to be derogatory. Again, it's about the fact that if you watch a game, a Barcelona game, and you watch a Levante game, you're going to probably enjoy the football that Barcelona play more. And that's not comparing the two stars. I'm just making a point. Yeah. That. But, you know, Levante beat Barcelona last season and it wasn't exciting or fun, but they won and they did what they needed to do. And as a Levante fan, that's all you can ask for. It doesn't matter that the neutral's favourite is, you know, it's, it's about upsetting the odds. And, and that's what Cardiff are trying to do this season. They've made it very clear that anything but relegation would be massively upsetting the odds and, and that they're enjoying just being here. And I think that, that sets them up for some huge kind of results at some point. If they beat a team they're not supposed to beat, that's going to be a massive lift to everyone around the club. And you think back to that, game where we won against Reading 1-0 and that was the same night that Cardiff played Aston Villa and Jack Grealish scored that wonder goal yeah. uh, with about five minutes left. The Fulham crowd singing Cardiff City we're coming for you. You looked at the points at that point and almost I think Fulham became Bookie's favourites after that. As a Cardiff fan that would have been a pretty worrying night. You'd have just thought oh we're going we're gonna to bottle this. Yeah. So there's, 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 I don't think it's that surprising that this animosity has been built up and people have kind of egged it up as a, a difference of style but part of it was just the fact we were, we were in a very close race at, at one point and Cardiff did come out on top and I think after the Birmingham game we were all very honest afterwards and just gave Cardiff the credit that they deserved. Yeah, of course I think that's just all you can do at that point right yes in the build-up to it you've got to try and make it as difficult as possible and you've got to try and you know get into the groove of it but at the end of the day when the results come to the results that's what happened and look we're both here yeah. <laughs> styles aside we're both here do you think they'd have gone up if they were in the playoffs? I don't know. I, I, I can see Warnock's teams winning games 1-0, but I suppose you could also say the same for Steve Bruce and they got sided. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. Can you imagine if it had been uh, Cardiff-Middlesbrough in the uh, playoff final? Yeah, it would have been, it would have been a, uh, a game for the neutral. <laughs> uh, good memories from last year. Uh, we won 4-2 at the Cardiff City Stadium. It was a really, really important game because yeah. I think we'd had a pretty terrible December. We lost that game at Sunderland we also lost to Brentford I think in between that we got an unconvincing win against Barnsley at at home home. and then it was Boxing Day and I remember going into that game not feeling confident at all I remember on Christmas Day sitting around my family going how are Fulham doing and I'm like yeah we're going to get battered tomorrow by Cardiff and we went into that game and we were so rampant Sessegnon was brilliant on the day Steph Joe scored that lovely goal uh, to make it 4-2 and after that Fulham didn't look back no, it was a, a huge catalyst for our season, a massive turning point. And you, you look at those games in the Christmas period when we turned around a couple of results that we maybe shouldn't have done at Hull as well, where we were 2-0 down and yes. pulled it back to 2 all. You look at those games and they were huge for Fulham in trying to get the season kick-started. And it seems mad to say getting a season kick-started in December when we're already worrying about the fact that we haven't started this one yeah. particularly well. But, you know, that's how it is. And, and those games were hugely important. We did wonders at... at I was going to say Ninian Park, but it's not called Ninian Park oh, anymore, no. at the Cardiff City Stadium that day. And, and we were really, really good. I remember watching it. I was in Barcelona, and you can obviously you can use the Fulham FC TV once you're abroad. Yes, of course. So I remember watching it and being like, this is good. Yeah, yeah, God, yeah. good. It was nice. And they scored an absolute wonder goal, Kenneth Zahor. Yes. What's happened to Zahor? Is he injured? No, I just don't think he's featuring very much because he's been kept out of the side by Bobby Reid. Okay. And Patterson's that... playing quite a lot. Yeah, I noticed Patterson's playing. I know Bobby Reid's playing, but Kenneth Zahor's a very good player on his day yeah uh, maybe he, Warnock doesn't feel like he's up to the pace of the Premier League yet or, or something similar you know we we don't know what's going on in that camp yeah, I suppose but he, he definitely has featured here and there so he's I don't think he's injured but who knows um, and looking from a Fulham perspective we know that it was a difficult one against Arsenal last time around um, 
not 100% sure what the team news is for Saturday yet. Would you like to see the back three staying in place for the Cardiff game? Because it did work in patches against Arsenal. Yeah, there's you know there's something to be said for it. I think I said this after the Arsenal game that I wasn't sure that you put a back three out against the likes of Cardiff when we know you know mostly what they're about. And I'm not saying that that means that we're going to win or anything like that, but it we we don't we, we're not looking at anything new here. We're not looking at Aubameyang and Lacazette up front. We're looking at you know Bobby Reid, maybe Patterson, people that we've played against before, people that we know what they bring to the table and we know how Cardiff are going to set up. I'd be interested to see how Slav goes with this one. I think he's going to bring Mawson back in to try and deal with the aerial bombardment a little bit more. Okay, But we'll see, I suppose, how he he deals with it. Well, uh, let's get a Cardiff view uh, on the affair. I spoke to Scott Salter of the View from the Ninian podcast, which seems to be a fairly new Cardiff City podcast doing the rounds these days. And I started off by asking Scott how confident Cardiff fans are of getting their first win on Saturday. It's going to be a tough game. You know, I mean, every game at this level is a tough game and we found that out quite quickly. Um, You know, we're eight or nine games in, we've still not won a game. Um, But I think all of us will be looking, no disrespect to Fulham, but as one that we can can get a win from, um, although it will be tough. You've, you've struggled for goals this season, um, but you didn't invest anywhere near as much as ourselves and Wolves did. Do you very much feel like the underdogs in this division? That's what Neil Warnock's rhetoric has been pretty much since day one. Yeah, yeah, he's been playing that card since, since I think the last game of the season when we got promoted. Listen, we knew it was going to be tough. We, as a fan base, I think have been quite realistic about, I think we learned our lessons from the last time we got promoted. You know, we ended up spending a lot of money on unproven players. Um, Vince Tan likes to remind us about how costly a, a buy Andreas Cornelius was. Um, so it's quite nice to see the club be more sensible and, and investing more in the infrastructure rather than going, you know, all out to try and sign these superstars. Um, but I think we probably need to do more than, than what we did do. Um, our, like I said, our budget is nowhere near either Fulham or, or Wolves. I mean, I think we're we're a quarter the size of Huddersfield's budget and they're the second lowest in the division. So we've got to be realistic about what we can afford. But um, I think not to sign a striker um, is, well, we, we all knew we needed one and, and it's already showing that it's proven quite costly. Yeah, indeed. Your midfield, though, for me, looks quite nice. Uh, Mendes Lang, Camarasa, Harry Arter, Josh Murphy. I mean, that's not a bad midfield. Uh, and surely that midfield battle is going to be quite crucial on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, it will. I mean, we were quite light in centre mid and we managed to squeeze through Harry Arter and Victor Camarasa on deadline that I think was both loans. Um, we're obviously going to be without Joe Rawls, who's one of our most important players. Well, I mean, shocking, shocking that he's suspended for this one, isn't it? This disgrace. Yeah, I'm not sure we had much hope with that appeal, did we? No. (laughs) Despite Warnock thinking you did. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens there in terms of uh, how he he plays that. At the start of the season, when we were a little bit light, he played Sol Bamba as a defensive midfielder. Didn't work. It didn't work. It was an awful experiment. Um, But Aaron Gunnison's close to, to being fully fit so I, I expect him to come back in but obviously he's, he's not played any games since the World Cup so against the likes of Tom Kearney and um, Sarri it'll be, be a tough battle for him. 
Uh, who's been playing up front? You mentioned the lack of a top quality striker. I like Bobby Reid. He seems to always score against Fulham as well. Whenever he was at Bristol City, I think he scored in both games against us last season. Although uh, Patterson's been playing up front for you quite a bit. So um, who is the best striker? And where's Kenneth Sahor? I've always, always quite liked him. <laughs> I mean, your guess is as good as anyone's. I mean, the fact that we've, we've resorted to play in Callum Patterson, who we signed from Hearts last summer as a right back. He's been our, our striker in the last game and I expect him to be a striker again on Saturday kind of says it all. Um, Bobby Reid is clearly a very talented player and I actually wrote an article about him this week that I got a hell of a lot of stick for um, basically saying that it's already proved a costly mistake um, in signing him. Not that Bobby Reid is a bad player and he's worked hard and he's clearly talented, but it's a case of square peg in a round hole. You know, Warnock does not like to play a system that suits a small, nimble striker. You know, it's, it's the striker like Kenneth Sahor or a Andy Carroll, Sam Vokes, that would really thrive in our system. And we spent 10 million on Bobby Reid, which was a large, you know, a third of our budget. And now we're paying the price and he's barely played the last three games, paid something like four minutes in the last three games. Um, so yeah, and back to Kenneth Sahor, I mean, He's one of the most frustrating players that we've got in the he gets a lot of stick from the Cardiff fans, but he just he doesn't work hard enough for a start, which is um, you know, we're a working class club with that really value above anything work rates and, and pressing from the front and you know, working hard. And he just doesn't doesn't do that. Um he scored that that good run of goals um the season before last, but he didn't score that many last season. He's not looking like scoring this year, so whether it was a flash in the pan, we don't know. But we seem to pin all of our hopes on him. And uh, it's proven costly already. And, and Zahor, any ideas? Well, like I said, he's, he was, might, might have been a flash in the pan. I doubt he'll start because it, it seems to be Patterson um, playing up top. And he seems to do quite well linking up, particularly with Josh Murphy, who uh, has been one of our better signings, to be honest with you. He's, he's looked threatening. He almost got a goal against Spurs, um, did score against Burnley. And he linked up well with Patterson, so I imagine they would be our front, front two come uh, hybrid system on Saturday. I, I want to talk, Scott, about this kind of weird rivalry that's developed in the last six months between Fulham and Cardiff. Now, it's natural that teams competing directly against each other for a promotion, a relegation, whatever, are going to are going to compete and want to get one over each other and especially fans on social media and all of that. But the Cardiff-Fulham one really took a bit of a nasty turn, especially towards the end of the season. Um, there's obviously a real conflict of styles in, in, in terms of the way we play football. At the end of the day, though, Cardiff got promotion over us and we have to give credits to you. What's your taking of this, this Fulham-Cardiff <laughs> pop shots that have been taking place? It's, it's a strange one, isn't it? I think, first of all, Cardiff as a club, and particularly with Neil Warnock, aren't the most likeable of clubs. So naturally, we get a lot of stick from uh, from a lot of fans um, for our style of play and over-physicality and stuff like that. I think you hit the nail on the head in that the rivalry and the, um, the disdain for each other has come from the, the clash of styles, really. You know, you really couldn't, get polar opposite styles in Warnock's long ball, physical, the long throw all the time. And Fulham, they do play good football. I think the Cardiff fans, although we're used to um, people sort of taking pop shots and a dislike to us, particularly on social media, there seems to be quite a few fans who 
uh, Fulham fans, sorry, who felt that they deserved promotion over Cardiff because of the style of play. Um, I think no, that's probably a minority, of course, but I think that's where um, Cardiff fans got the back up a bit and obviously retali- not retaliated, but gone back and you know the table doesn't lie. Um, and yeah, it's a strange one. Um, I, Fulham haven't really got many many rivalries. If they, everyone kind of likes Fulham, and suddenly we've uh, created this online rivalry. Oh, there are enough clubs that that don't like us. Uh, in fairness, most of them reside in West London, apart from Chelsea, who who couldn't really care less. If I'm being uh, truthfully honest, Scott, um, it's my first time to uh, Cardiff City on Saturday. I've been to Cardiff plenty of times, but I've never been to a match there. What would you advise for away fans uh, travelling to the Welsh capital on Saturday? Well, it might be a bit late now, but I definitely advise to try and make a weekend of it if you can. Um, yeah, it's a fantastic city. Um, there's some great pubs, bars, restaurants, clubs in, in the city centre and the stadium's not not too far from there. Um, I'd probably leave plenty of time to get to the stadium because there's only, uh, especially if you're in the centre of town, there's only two sort of trains go in there and it can get quite busy. Um, but no, it's, it's a great stadium and, and I've, I've heard a lot of away fans, particularly in the championship, comment um, and praise in the Cardiff, not only the atmosphere from our home fans, but also the stewards in the away end. Um, so yeah, I think it'll be quite an enjoyable experience for you. Hopefully no three points for you either. Well, um, what is your prediction for the game? How do you see it going? Uh, where do you think the game might be won and lost? I think it'll be won and lost in midfield. Um, you know, we've already talked about the, the sort of battles of style in there. Um, we've added a tiny bit of flair with Camarasa, but particularly Harry Arter. And if Gunnarsson comes in, they're very combative. They'll put tackles in. Arter, in, in particular, has impressed the way that he's flown into tackles and it's it been ferocious. Um, I think it'll be a tight game, though. I think because both teams know each other from the championship and know how each other play, but also know that each side can hurt the other one, I think it'll be quite a tight game. Um, I'm going for a 1-1. A 1-1. Well, Scott, thank you for chatting to Fulhamish today. Uh, I'm looking forward to the game on Saturday. And uh, from my point of view, hoping that Fulham can come away with the three points, then I imagine, likewise, you're hoping uh, to get your first three points of the season. So, uh, Scott, thank you for chatting to Fulhamish. Perfect. Thank you very much. Fulhamish has teamed up with OneFootball, the only football app that you need this season. Uh, you can get it on both the App Store and on Google Play. Using personalised news feeds, push notifications and a user-friendly interface, OneFootball makes it easy to keep up to date with the latest transfer news, scores and stats in one central place. Check out the OneFootball app and let us know what you think of it. Hello, I'm Lucas Piazon, and when I'm not winding up Reading fans, I'm listening to Fulhamish Podcast. Well, thank you to Scott there from the View from the Ninian podcast. Bit of a throwback to their old ground. Yeah, nice. Uh, I think I'm heading to Cardiff on Saturday. You're not heading there, are you? I cannot know, I'm afraid. But I'm intrigued by the day out. I like Cardiff as a city. I don't know what this kind of new stadium is. From the telly, it looks like a very generic Reading, Middlesbrough, Derby, Bowl kind of stadium. Uh, and it's not always full, but it seems to have been quite well attended this season. So. Yeah, I think that they're supposed to, Cardiff is supposed to have quite a, you know, quite an atmosphere. They're not necessarily, you know, levels of what you expect from Dortmund or whatever, but <laughs> I, I think they're supposed to have a, a reasonably good atmosphere when it's, when it's full. And I imagine it will be for an important game straight after the international break. Yeah. You, you know, you look at it and 
Cardiff aren't going to be pleased about Fulham coming to town. I think it's one of those where they're going to have to see this as a six-pointer if they're going to stay up. These are the games that both teams need to yeah. win, and no team's going to be happy with a draw with this. No, no, we're not, they're not going to come out of this being like, oh, draw was a good result. Even with the kind of, oh, we're just here for the ride kind of idea, they have to win some games, and these are the ones they've got to be targeting. Other lower half Premier League teams at home. Yeah. You know, the same way that we've, what we've said. So a draw, I think, probably suits Fulham slightly better than Cardiff, but I think that it's going to be... Three Both points teams or do nothing, really yeah. Three points here, don't they? Uh, if you want a bit of a stats lowdown ahead of the game, uh, make sure you head to fulhamish.co.uk and you check out George Singer's article, uh, which is always brilliant every week, uh, taking a kind of statistical look at the opposing team and also writing some notes for Slav, which. Uh, often very spot on yeah very very spot on and also make sure you check out uh jack george and ben on the stat show which is available as the last podcast in our podcast feed and you can also watch it on youtube yeah go on youtube leave us a comment and stuff there's like cool graphics if you've only listened to it on the on the podcast kind of side of things there's cool graphics on the youtube where we put up some stats and some charts and things so do you want to quickly go for a starting 11 just before we move on to some other full and bits and bobs yeah is it predicted or what i'd go with um I think what you'd go with is always more interesting. I think it's maybe time for Sergio Rico. Okay. That would be my call. Did you see Betts had a nightmare journey back? Yeah, to, that's part uh, That's part of it. I, I don't think, you know, I, I don't, I'm not massively fussed about who's in goal, if I'm honest. I, yeah. I don't, I think they're all a bit of much of a muchness at this point. But If you didn't see, by the way, Marcus Bestinelli, basically, uh, the England team flew back from Spain on Monday night and they normally go to Birmingham. Uh, as a central point in the country for all players to go off to respective clubs, but they got diverted to Manchester because of bad weather. So I don't think he got back into his house or whatever till 7am on Tuesday morning. So he wouldn't have trained on Tuesday. No, which can't be ideal preparation. But okay, you're going to go for Rico. I'm not sure I agree there. I'm just, in terms of, you know, I don't think Bettinelli's had two particularly good games the last two games. I don't think he's been awful by any stretch of the imagination, but I think with a week working with Sergio Rico and the centre-backs at at home, I hope that that's maybe helped Slav to develop a little bit more. I'd probably go with Mawson and Ream. Okay. Because I think we're going to need height. I think we're going to need that kind of physical presence in there. And, you know, while Dennis Adoy has been good in most parts, and I wouldn't be too offended by him being in there, I think that with the aerial bomb, the long throws of Sean Morrison, which took nine minutes of a game last week. Yes, and nine minutes. So I, I think we're going to be subject to quite a few of those. And I'd imagine the height of Morrison, his physicality might be quite useful in this battle. I hope that Fosu Mensah and Brian are back. If they are, I would go with both of them. Yeah. I would go with Angisa, Seri, and Tom Kearney if he's back. Vieto, Sessegnon, Mitrovic. Okay. I'm going to kind of agree, but actually I'm interested to see the back five again because yeah. I actually thought we looked so fluid against Arsenal and I really, really thought it worked. So I'm going to stick with Betts in goal. I don't know why. I've tried and trusted Maybe just because I haven't seen too much of Sergio Rico, but yeah. I'm more than happy to be proved wrong on on. I'm also on that front. Uh, it's very much one of those where it's kind of up, up in the air at that point. I would stick with the back five that started against Arsenal. So Reem, Adoy, Lamarchon, Sessignon at left wing back, and then if he's about, I'd quite like Timothy Fossi Mensah at right wing back. Uh, we'll come on to Cyrus Christie though. He did uh, do very well uh, for the Republic on he international did. duty. Uh, Serian Angisa. Holding, I know that Anguissa didn't have his greatest performance against Arsenal. I think that was partially down to having to do so much covering out wide, which meant that he was constantly uh, pulled out of position. Uh, then I probably have Tom Kearney and then 
either one of Sherla or Vieto, probably go with Sherla then Mitrovic and kind of having Sherla just slightly off Alexander Mitrovic. Um, I, I like Vieto and I know he's got a lot of assists, uh, but I just thought... The most in the Premier League, in fact. Yeah, that was an incredible stat, actually. But I don't know. I haven't been fully impressed with him, either against Arsenal or against Everton, which seems absurd because it was a lovely assist, but t- taking out small individual moments, I think that Vieto maybe just needs a-, a week on the bench for me. So I would go with Schürrle and I'd also go with then Mitrovic, of course, up top. Of course. Right, uh, a few other little bits of Fulham news uh, before we move on to our next segment. Uh, Ryan Sessegnon, BBC Young Sports Person of the Year. He's on the nominations for that. And actually, now I know Ryan Sessegnon has had an incredible awards haul in 2018. But this is probably as higher accolade as someone his, his age could actually get. When you actually look at the nominate, he's the only footballer yeah. on the list. It's a hell of achievement. Yeah, I think it is. And many congratulations firstly to Ryan for, for being on such a prestigious list he deserves to be there I think he, he's in company which doesn't feel alien to him if I'm you know being straight he's been an ambassador for the club both on and off the pitch we've seen him growing into his role as kind of uh, a young starlet being part of the media and, and doing that whole circus we saw those things with, with Ian Wright which and he always comes across so well and so mature on camera and, and off camera so he, it's one of those things where I think he's a wonderful role model for, for kids growing up and I think that's what this is really isn't it it's yeah. it's being a role model being someone to look up to and I think that Ryan Sessegnon is all of those things and whilst it seems at the moment Sessegnon is being slightly overtaken in terms of his age group by the likes of Jaden Sancho and, and Phil Foden what Sessegnon has achieved this year is much greater in the fact that he assisted the winning goal in a playoff final truly elevated his club has risen to under 21 level for England whilst yes there are some other players that are getting the headlines of his age at the moment what he's achieved in 2018 I think eclipses all of those yeah I think that's maybe slightly harsh on Jadon Sancho who's been very very good in Germany in no, I'm not denying division. that but has Jadon Sancho had as much of an influence on Dortmund as Sessegnon has had on Fulham I think he is doing now Uh, maybe not for the past season but I think that his influence on that Dortmund side is only growing and I think that he will be by the end of this season an indispensable player in that in that cog and I think that to not to to to, to, to take away from Sess I suppose but that that is an impressive achievement in terms of they are the second biggest club in Germany right now and that's that's in itself is the achievement perhaps that he is playing for for a club of that stature holding his own being part of that kind of squad and being a shining light to British youth who want to go who who are offered a kind of oh same old same old you can either go to a lower table mid table championship club or a low table Premier League club and try and claw your way up or you can come through an academy at a top club and and he's offered something different. He's been the one big shining breakout light in that you can go abroad, you can do what you want, you can make these big decisions and they can benefit you. And I think that that's a huge achievement. And that's not to take away from Ryan Sessegnon, who I think is more than deserving of this award and, and is such a... such a One of the things I think is so crucial about him is that in London there's so many different ways to, to go about your life, right? There, there are so many different things you can do as a youngster and there are and I'm sure that he'd tell you more than most that it's not only one way out of in terms of when you're coming up and you're like oh, I don't know what to do in my life I'm not sure whether I should you know get involved with with whatever whether you go into an apprenticeship whether you want to go after uni whether you know you but 
he offers that kind of you can be a nice person you can be a down to earth kid who looks after his family who wants to stay at his boyhood club and and is always humble you know close to home he seems to have that kind of tight knit family unit around him and I think that's so important to look at for, for young people and it's such an achievement for him to be able to then stand up and say look I've done this and it's all been me Congratulations to Brian Sesson and hopefully on the nights uh, he can get the award. But I did look down the list and there are there, some if unbelievable people on that list. Unbelievable stories, unbelievable people. So for me, Ryan getting on that getting list, nominated. yeah, already an amazing achievement in my eyes. Certainly, uh, obviously in the international roundup, it's a bit lengthier now in the Premier League, isn't it? In yeah, terms lovely. of in terms of Fulham players, whilst before it seemed to be like a couple of throwaway lines of who actually featured into the in the international break. It's a much longer article now uh, on the official Fulham website. I will start off uh, close to home for you. Cyrus Christie yes. uh, was very impressive for the Republic in an otherwise quite dour night against Denmark. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said that he was a Republic of Ireland's man of the match, but that's not saying too much. But he was, you know, very bright. He he read the game well. He tackled away. He played Where did it, he play? He played sort of the right-hand midfield role of a three. Okay. So they played five at the back. 3-1-1 one, one, and he was sort of the right hand side of the three and it was good it was good he was he was tenacious in the tackle he ran around a lot he you know he didn't look like a headless chicken he managed to track his runners when he when he wanted there are still defensive issues in his game but pushing him further up the field and giving him sort of that more middling role gave him the freedom I suppose a little bit more to have a wing back behind him and yeah. someone to, to bomb up and down that channel and it got the best out of him in a lot of senses because he was able to attack he was able to look up his delivery into the box was excellent and that was when he was getting out onto the right hand channel so if we can see some more of that and he can incorporate that into his everyday game especially as a right back then I think that we'll we'll see something more from Cyrus and and, and the more confidence that's given him that's the thing Martin O'Neill backs him you know, to the hilt and we've seen that with his comments we've seen that with him sticking him in the side even though he's not necessarily that player and you know, if you're Conor Hurahan, you must be like, why on earth is Cyrus Christie playing centre-midfield <laughs> over me? But, you know, for all that for all that said, the fact that O'Neill backs him so vividly and so so much is, is obviously so good for his confidence. And, and just after what he knock- needed. Yeah, exactly. After a knockback, you know, after the Arsenal game where he was, you know, given a hard time by quite a lot of people, and, and rightly so. And, and a hu- I mean, it is a hu- as much as footballers are quite blind to some of the press and probably try and ignore it if Alan Shearer is full singling on singling you out on match sing- of the day he's going to know about that oh yeah he's always released a statement about it has he? yeah yeah he said I respect his opinion you know I was trying to do what my manager told me and it wasn't just me deciding not to I was asked to mark the right back or the left back so yeah, that was right. my role so I wasn't sh- shaking my duties I was just that wasn't what I was supposed to be doing but he said, "I respect Alan Shearer's opinion, and and that's what it's about." So it was, you know, he obviously I knows about that. it. Yeah, he obviously knows about it, and obviously has had a, had his say on it. And you know, I think that's behind him now. Look, he's played a really good international. Hopefully, he has another really good game tonight against Wales on a personal and kind of for him <laughs> level. I hope that you know we see more of him in not necessarily in that role. I'd like to see him actually move back to right back. Although I think it'd be very harsh on on Matt Doherty, who's yeah. been wonderful this season. But, you know, wherever Cyrus plays, I hope he has a good game and his confidence continues to build and then he gets back to Fulham, you know, back in the saddle and, and back at it again. Uh, Mitro got two for Serbia in the See. local derby against Montenegro. Yeah. Uh, and at the time of speaking, is the joint top scorer in the Nations League yes. alongside Romelu Lukaku. Uh, he wasn't quite so prolific in the game against Romania, but still... He was Mitro, very unlucky. 
Was he, he was very unlucky. Yeah, he he carved a couple of really good chances for himself. He had two unbelievable headers saved by by the keeper. He dragged a couple of shots wide where he should have probably tested, but also but you know he also got he also scored an offside goal. So there were plenty of positives from a Fulham perspective. He was in the right areas. His ball control was wonderful. And yeah, I know he's playing Romania. It's not going to be Premier League defenders, but at the same time, you've got to just play against. They qualified you've got, for the Euros. That's it. So. He, he had a really good game and he looked really strong and really up for it and his ball control was absolutely wonderful. And if Dusan Tadic hadn't blazed a penalty over the bar and if they'd given it to Mitrovic, who incidentally scored a penalty against Montenegro, they would have probably won that game 1-0. Who would be our penalty taker? Probably Mitrovic. We, when's the last time we had a penalty? Don't know. I can't even remember. It's, it's either Mitrovic or Scherler, I imagine. Yeah, I'd have thought so. Well, good. Mitrovic in form. Yes, Tick. very good. Um, who was the other player... Fulham player to score for their international side in the international break Ibrahim Assise smashed it well done he scored for Guinea uh, against Rwanda uh, also... it's a wonderful goal as well Is it? just outside the box he just picks it onto his left peg shuffles it and fires home good on you Ibrahim Assise yeah really good uh, elsewhere in Africa uh, Anguissa played for Cameroon Seri was impressive for the Ivory Coast uh, and Aite played for Togo Niskas uh, Cabano on the bench for the Congo yes um Kevin McDonald did play a bit for Scotland. Won't have been a terribly confidence-boosting time uh, for Kevin. It's a bit woeful in Scotland at the moment. Yeah, he came on for sort of three minutes against Portugal, and they scored. So <laughs> he came on, it was 3-0, and he went off, it was 3-1. So I suppose that, that makes it 1-0 to K-Mac, if I'm, if I'm having it. Exactly. If you need a goal against Portugal, bring on K-Mac. Uh, and finally, Steph Joe, captain Norway, he did. to another win in the Nations League. Yeah, he looks so... I watched that game. He looks so composed on the ball when he's playing for Norway it's really weird like he, he just takes the ball he shuffles around defenders he's you know bending lovely passes out to the left back and you, you see that and you're sort of like where's that composure and <laughs> and when you when you play for Fulham I suppose he's asked to do a different role and obviously the armband will help him with that kind of responsibility he was really good in that game uh, Norway weren't particularly good El Yanusi played quite well and so did Steph but they weren't particularly impressive um, Ola Selnes scored for Norway yeah, an absolute it. rocket and he was one of the players linked to Fulham before we signed Anguisa this summer. Plays for Saint Etienne. Um, in other Fulham news, uh, there's been quite a few fixture changes, uh, five in total. Uh, so the Chelsea game in early December has been moved to a Sunday, which is no surprise anyway. No. Well, considering it's it's a Southwest London derby and it always had quite a lot of TV appeal, but also with Chelsea playing in the Europa League on the Thursday before, that was always going to get moved, whatever happened. Yep. We're part of a uh, derby day, aren't we? Yeah, we've been put as a derby day. I, I'm getting more and more concerned about that game as we go along. Really? Yeah, I'm really quite worried about it. Oh, well, if it's another heavy defeat, it's going to be no different to what else we've uh, yeah, faced against everyone's the top everyone's going to get really... We'll start that game being really yappy, and then we're almost certainly just going to lose 5-0, and it's going to be really upsetting and sad. Um, then the Leicester game, which is midweek afterwards, has been moved to a Wednesday, but not for TV. Uh, West Ham... Uh, just ahead of Christmas it's been moved to a 5.30 yeah, that's, a real, that's a real bugger I don't like that I'm supposed I quite to be like doing, 5.30 I do too but I'm supposed to be doing a gig that night at 7.30 ah. and it's really put all my plans up creek so alright oh, it's yeah it, I mean I'll be there 
I just have to leave at the end of the game and go straight to a gig rather than going to, to pre properly, which is a bit annoying. Another slightly difficult one. Wolves on Boxing Day has been moved to the early kickoff, so that'll be an early start after, after heavy Christmas, Christmas Day. I'm almost certainly going to be working Boxing Day because it's the most 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 busy day of football that there is in the in the English calendar. Okay, so, so that doesn't um, affect you too much. Well, I hopefully, I mean, I might be on the late shift, so I actually might mean I can go to that game, oh, well, which there. is quite nice. Excellent for you. Uh, and Spurs in January has been moved to. Uh, the Super Sunday slots at uh, 4 p.m. and and the most interesting fixture change of all. Why are we playing in the Carabao Cup on a Thursday? Oh, I have no idea. It, I I'm just don't really know the answer. I assume someone's on Monday Night Football. That's the only answer I can give. Well, we're on Monday Night Football afterwards against Huddersfield. Oh, okay. Oh, Man City on the uh, Monday Night Football before. I, I actually don't have the answer to that. So that that could be. That's the only answer I could give you that would make any sense. Yeah, because otherwise. Carabao well, not for TV or anything. No, it's not for TV either, which well. which is a little bit uh, crazy. I can't imagine the uh, attendance at the Etihad that day is going to be enormous. No, I I, I, just, I, I noticed it's struggle. like ten pound tickets. So yeah, are you up in Manchester at that point? Uh, no, I'm there the week after. The week after, after so. um, right. So you might know that Fulhamish has a show on Love Sport Radio every Wednesday. Uh, between 8.30 and 10pm. You can listen in London on AM, uh, you can listen on digital radio as well, or you can just listen around the world on lovesportradio.com. It's generally uh, with Dom, and it's hosted by a guy called Aaron Paul, and then Dom gets a guest on every week. It's actually a really good show. If you're ever in on a Wednesday night uh, and you're just cooking dinner or anything like that, stick the guys on because it actually is just an hour and a half of entertaining Fulham chat on the radio. It's a slightly different kind of medium to the podcast as well. So It's a little bit more frantic. Yeah, exactly. Um, but they do get some really good guests on there and we thought it was a little bit of a waste that some of these great guests are going on the show um, but not featuring on the podcast. So... Uh, Moving forward on Fulhamish Extra, we're going to try and feature some of the best interviews that they get uh, on this podcast. And last week, they had Fulham's record goalscorer, Gordon Davies, on the show. Over the engine. He is a little bit, obviously, controversial because he moved to Chelsea. Yes. And in, in some people's eyes, record goalscorer or not, it's unforgivable. Yeah, it's not unforgivable for me because I wasn't born. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, it was a really, really great interview, so we uh, we thought we'd play it to you now. Uh, so this is Gordon Davies uh, with Dom and Aaron on Love Sport. Good evening, guys. I'm very good. It would have been much better to have come on if Fulham were 7th or 8th in the league uh, rather than sort of 17th and to, dis- to discuss things. But uh, I'm enjoying myself, yeah, good. Good, good, good. Um, I mean, look, let's not talk about the defence because, you know, going <laughs> forward was your strong point. How would you have liked to have played uh, with this team? You know, the attacking threats of people like Kearney. You know, you've got some, you know, wonderful talent with Sessegnon in there. You, you would have done well here. Well, it, I, I would have liked to have thought... Uh, I would have. Uh, I suppose the saying that we all use these days is, uh, the older I get, the better I was. So it's a, it is a situation that sometimes the, the chances that we are creating, especially early on in the season, sort of Palace comes to mind, first game of the season, uh, we were a few yards off the pace. And whereas, for instance, Sessignon was getting tappings at the far post, at the end of last season, or majority of uh, through last season, he was always a couple of yards short just at the beginning of the year. And goals change games. And in a few of the games this season, we've had chances to go uh, in, into the lead, and it changes the whole dynamics of the of, of the game. So I, I would have liked to have thought that I could have got on the end of a lot of the crosses that are coming into the box this season. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, main, it's been pointing out of defence so far this season. Do you think that is where we're going wrong? Or do you think it's more an overall that we don't know who's playing where <laughs> week in, week I'm, out? Yeah, I, th- I think it's an overall thing. I said Because if you look at... I know everybody that people have been going uh, on about uh, the defence. People have had a pop at Christie. And goalkeepers as well. Um, but I think... I think in hindsight, you you would look at the way things have gone this year, and then you would have probably said to Slavisa, wouldn't it have been better to have started with the 11 players or the 10, 13 players that uh, got us up to the Premier League and then started to introduce the players that you've bought over the, over the sort of first four, five, six, seven, eight games of the season. Uh, but he's gone in with five or six on the first game, and then we've had injuries, then a few more have played, then we've had more injuries. So if you ask Slavisa at the moment, then I don't think he knows what his best 11 is or his best starting 11, but he hasn't had the chance to put, put that starting 11, I don't think so, out on the pitch. And if you're changing week in, week out, and I've been listening to the programme um, tonight, you've got uh, the, the, the keeper coming in with a back four that's changing regularly in front of him. Um, and I, I don't think it's helped Slavisa, and I certainly don't think it's helped the players with the amount of changes that he's probably, you could say, had enforced on him. Um, so I, I think we are where we are, purely because of the fact you look at Wolves or you, you look at the, the, the way that they started the same team for seven, eight games, that breeds confidence. When you're changing week in, week out, and you're not getting the, the, the results that you hope you're going to get, then, um, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's where we find ourselves. And um, Fulham have never struggled for goals, I guess, like yourself. I mean, you are a record goal scorer. But I, I wanted to ask, um, if, bring it back to you know the past, I guess, rather than the present day. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask, what is your favourite goal that you score for Fulham that no one talks about? <laughs> what a question that is that's probably right um, it, it, it's probably difficult uh, as far as the top goals are concerned I think one that they don't probably um, talk about we played um, Preston North End um, at, at the end of the season um, I think it was Preston North End and uh, we were trying to get into the final playoff spot uh, in the old third division, now Division One, and uh, a ball was knocked forward from uh, left back, Les Strong. Dean Coney went up for it about three, four, five yards outside of the box. So it's a 30-yard ball into him, and I literally just shouted to Dean at the top of my voice to flick inside, and he flicked it inside. The 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 flick beat the other centre half. I adjusted my stride and volleyed it from 18 yards into the top uh, left-hand corner. Uh, but all that did, yes, we won the game, but all that did was seal um, sort of the playoffs, or not a playoffs, but a, a spot in second place um, that we had to hang on to when we played Lincoln in the final game of the season. So I remember that goal as being very important to the club, but... I would think that not many supporters would remember it. I mean, we got we we, we, we I posted on uh, Tiff or Fulham Forum that you were coming on today. I made a questionnaire from JB saying, despite the fact you must have had a thousand showers since 1985, how dirty do you still feel that you played for that rubbish down the road? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, well, 
because uh, oh, well, it, it, it is a very strange story. Uh, I'll cut it down because how I left, um, I was literally about to sign a new contract. I was in the manager's office with the joint manager, managers at the time, Ray Harford and Terry Mancini. Um, and the funniest thing was that they'd moved two sets of tables in there because they were joint managers. Um, so one's on my left, one's on my right. Uh, and I was literally about to sign the, uh, um, the contract. And then I'd forgotten to discuss what we used to call appearance money. So I, I, I put my pen down and I asked for the appearance money because 70% of the first team players were on it anyway, and I wasn't. So uh, they said, all oh, right, well, we'd better go and see the financial director. So Terry Monson ran across to the, uh, the Riverside stand, saw the financial director, ran back, and it, when he was out of breath, he just turned round to Ray Harford and said, he's not going to give it to you. So I put my pen down, I said, thank you ever so much, and I walked out. Now, the only way I can make it known how much I was asking for, because we'd already played 10 games that season, was that if, the, if Fulham had given me a cheque for a massive amount of £350, <laughs> that would have covered all 10 games, because it was £35 appearance money. And because that, wasn't, that contract wasn't signed, it went to a tribunal, and of course... The team down the road, which I'm not, I can't really say the, the name because uh, I'll get, I'll lose my corporate hospitality job if I mention them. But yeah, and so that was the reason that I signed for the Blues down the road. And it, I didn't really want to leave uh, Fulham, but all, all over £35 appearance money. We're changing the subjects again. I, I want to ask about uh, that game where Fulham would deny promotion at Derby. Derby, back, yeah. Back to the top tier. I mean... Yeah. I've never liked Derby, but I know that as a Fulham fan, I should hate them just because of that game, <laughs> based on what my dad and his mates have said. What are your like memories of that season as well? Because obviously that, 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 that was the closest we came to promotion back to the top flight. Well, yeah, yeah, it was. And, and I think we had to wait another 26 years before we got the, got the chance or, or got there. Um, it, was, it was a frightening experience the last 15 minutes of the game when it was... The only way I can describe it to people who probably haven't seen it on YouTube or whatever um, is that it was like a, 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 an FA Cup final for a Sunday league team where you get a lot of people around the pitch and when the ball goes down the touchline, the, the people behind you run on the pitch to see what's happening down that end and then when the ball comes back down, they run off the pitch and, and you play on. And um, I, was, I went through, I didn't go through on goal, I had a shot uh, on the run, and I had to stop myself uh, going into the crowd because they were obviously on all four uh, sides of the pitch. And I stopped about a metre short of the dead ball line, and two, uh, in those days, what you would call the skinheads, um, they turned round to me, and I'll cut some of the language out, but they said, we'll break both of your legs if you score today. And uh, when you get sort of like a group of 10 or 20 of them there, which are 10 deep, um, then you tend to think, OK, OK, it shouldn't affect me, but you never know if it does. And when you play a game and one of your players gets kicked by the, by the supporters, then you know that uh, you shouldn't really be on the pitch. So, um, like you, I've never had a, uh, a good feeling for Derby. And to be perfectly honest with you, it was nice last year to knock them out of the playoffs. 
So uh, that was one one in the eye uh, for for Derby, and and from my point of view, it was nice to beat them in such an important game. But but yeah, the last 15 minutes were were frightening, and then when I was caught up uh, for an offside decision, the referee blew the whistle for offside, and all the Derby supporters thought it, that was the end of the game. So we had to get off the pitch. And when we got into the changing room, the referee came in and said, look, the game's not finished. We're going to have to go back out. And fair play to Malcolm McDonald said, well, I haven't got 11 fit players now because Robert Wilson had a big hematoma coming up on his thigh, so he couldn't really run. And Jeff Hopkins was in a state of shock because he'd been kicked, hit, punched, verbally abused on the way off and, and literally didn't have a shirt on his back when he came into the changing rooms. So that's the, that was the state of play in, in those days. Um, and, and yes, there's probably still a minute and a half to, to go or two and a half minutes to go. So the, the game should be in the Guinness Book of Records because the game's never finished. It's the longest running game in the history of football. But it was frightening. Hitting on another, um, another note, can you please tell us what it was like getting sent off against Chesterfield? Could you walk us? <laughs> could you walk us through that? Because we're all quite intrigued to uh, to know your side of the story of it. I, I think whoever is is old enough to remember me as a player uh, would probably think that tackling wasn't my uh, best part of my game, and um, I literally slid in from a ninety degree angle with the, with the centre half, uh, just literally trying to get the ball away from him as he was trying to clear it. He got there before me, um, and I caught his, uh, his, not his standing leg, I caught his foot that actually kicked the ball. So, yes, it was a foul, it wasn't um, dangerous, but the referee came across to me, uh, and as there were two other defenders pushing me back to the ground as I was trying to get off the ground, um, I got up to my feet, uh, there was a bit of a melee uh, around, that, uh, around me, and then the referee just showed me a, a, a straight red. Um, I couldn't believe it. I asked him um, why uh, and, and thought it was just a booking at, at most. And um, he didn't really explain. He just said he was a dangerous tackle. Um, and then when I read his report, he said, it, it said, actually said it was a dangerous and malicious tackle from behind. So he didn't get the, <laughs> even get the description of the tackle correct. But um, I went off. Uh, I was depressed. I was taking my shoes off and throwing them from one side to the other in the changing room. Suddenly I heard a, another cheer, and I thought, oh, Chesterfield must have scored. And then I heard some footsteps coming down the corridor. Uh, then the door was kicked open, uh, which left a little hole in the bottom of the door, and that was Jeff Hopkins. So he'd been sent off within about three minutes of me being sent off. And uh, as we were discussing what had gone on, we heard another cheer. So we both put our head out of the change room door and didn't see anybody coming down, and we thought, well, what's gone on? So we shouted to a, a steward, uh, and he came down to us and explained that uh, our assistant manager, Jack Burkett, had been sent up to the stand. So we got three people sent off out of a squad of about 13, 14 people in the space of about four minutes. So um, I, I, I'd probably look with that tackle, I'd probably look like a, a Graham Souness or a, um, 
uh, a, a, a sort of a hatchet man in midfield these days if it was uh, if it was shown on television. But uh, it was inno- in, an innocuous tackle, which I thought uh, booking would have been good enough. But yeah, that's the only time I've been sent off in my career, unfortunately. Gordon, you worked with uh, with Ray Lewington. You know, yeah. some of your most successful years were like that. What was he like as a number one? Obviously, he's been famed for being a number two for the past you know ten or so years. Um, but what was he like as a number one? Ray is a very, very good coach. Um, he's, um, uh, he, he, I think that is one of his certainly strengths. I think um, as a manager, he's very good. But I think the uh, when he was, uh, I came back when uh, in my second spell when when Ray was manager, um, and um, I think he used to sit down a lot and talk with Ray Harford. Obviously, no longer with us, but uh, uh, another exceptional coach. Uh, he used to talk with Ray a lot coming back from, from games uh, before you even went into uh, sort of the coaching or management side of things. So he's be, he was looking at it from a, uh, from a young age, and um, I think he's proved how good he is um, with, with the different jobs that he's had. He's got that reputation now as a, as a number two, obviously, with, with Roy. But when Roy hangs... Um, uh, hangs up his uh, boots, as it were, uh, then, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, th- there wouldn't be a, a better person about to, to get as a manager than, than Ray Lewington. Um, and, as I say, uh, that he's very very much a player's man. Um, he's not aloof. He doesn't sort of uh, say the door's not open to you. He'll, he'll talk to anybody and everybody. Um, and I think that uh, uh, would put him in good stead uh, even if, if he went back into to management after he sort of... Um, uh, parts company with Roy Hodgson. Yeah, it was it was disappointing for him. Uh, I think at Watford in the in the early two thousands, he went there. The club were absolutely crippled, um, you know, by debt, and he, he had three really tough years there. But it'll be interesting to see how him and Roy work wonders uh, with Palace this season. What are your ambitions for, for for Fulham this season? Is it simply now a case of just staying up, or, or do you think that we're we're too early in the season to be to be making predictions and? Sort of suggestions well, I, I, like that. I, I think it's one of those situations. What I said from the beginning of the season, if we finish fourth off bottom, that's a good season for us because not putting any pressure on 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 anybody at, at, at the club. And I'm thinking we are a championship side. Uh, we are. We've just come into the, one of the best leagues in the world. There are some magical sort of games for the supporters to to try to enjoy this season um, but yes we're pitting ourselves against some very very experienced teams throughout the league and I suppose when you look at the amount of players that we that came in just before the transfer deadline it was going to take three or four months with a fit sort of squad of players to find out what the best 11 is and, 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 and where we are finding ourselves in the league because of what we've already said, and uh, the team has sort of been uh, chopped, chopped and changed about, we do find ourselves where we find ourselves. But uh, in the programme notes that I did at Fulham at the beginning of the year, I said that basically this year we're in a 12-team league and we've got to finish, at worst, fourth off bottom in that 12-team league. So um, uh, it's going to be another two or three games before you can then look at the, the uh, table and, and see where we are. But even if we win two of the sort of upcoming games against uh, Cardiff, Bournemouth, Huddersfield, we can probably still only get to about 12th. But two games, three games later, 
you can still drop back down those five, six places because everything is so close. We've just got to make sure that there are three worse teams than us at, at the end of the year. And, and certainly the three that are down there at the moment um, are, are making a good case for saying, um, let's play in the championship. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Jack Collins. Holla. And, well, we've been looking ahead to the Cardiff game, doing some of the other Fulham bits of news. Uh, and what you just heard there was Gordon Davies uh, chatting to Dom and Aaron on Love Sports. And hopefully in the future, we'll bring you more uh, exclusive interviews that the guys get on Love Sport. But if you want to hear it first, check out the show every Wednesday, 8.30pm till 10. Uh, it's a really, really great show. And you can listen around the world on lovesportradio.com. So, Jack... I'm heading to Cardiff on Saturday. You sadly are not. I am not, no. What are you going to predict? I am confident enough. Uh, I think it's going to be a tougher game than people are expecting. Cardiff have more quality than you you know. Camaras is a wonderful footballer, a really, really good footballer. And you would know. I would know. He was an old Betis boy. I believe he's on loan. So and I you've just got a membership to Betis, haven't you? I am now an official Real Betis member. Yeah, I'm quite proud of my quite proud of myself. You should be. Yeah, and also, but him in in the midfield with Harry Arter. You know, Harry Arter is also a good player, and and that's not just from an, an Irish standpoint. Obviously, he'll know Scott Parker well, so that's uh, you know, something that might play into our into our camp. Yeah. In that his. He's married Scott Parker's sister, am I right? Yes. Or Scott no, Parker's married his sister. There's one definitely of the relations they're, somewhere. One in of there. the two. They're their brothers-in-law. Yes. But I don't know which way around <laughs> it is. Um, so hopefully Scott Parker will have the lowdown on his brother-in-law that will help us sort of work our way out of that one. And if we can dominate that midfield and you know start to get the ball on the deck, I don't see how you know I don't see why we wouldn't be able to outclass Cardiff on the pitch. I would just dream right now of a two-nil win. Nothing massively spectacular, but. Comfortable, clean sheets on Setting the Setting off the mark. That would be, be that would be my dream day. Yeah, that'd be a nice day. I'd like that a lot. Down in Cardiff. So I'm going to go for a 2-0 win. You're going to go for a... <laughs> it's never easy. 3-2, Fulham. 3-2. As much as I'll take 3-2, I really, really want a clean sheet more than anything. So uh, hopefully uh, that will come our way. Thank you very much for listening to this Fulhamish Extra today. Uh, Fulhamish will return on Monday. Looking back at that Cardiff game. Uh, and then there'll be a Fulhamish extra this time next week as we return back to Craven Cottage to face Bournemouth, which is going to actually be quite a uh, quite a difficult game as uh, Bournemouth are in very, very good form right now. Uh, make sure you check out the Fulhamish YouTube channel. Uh, there's the match preview that I did with Scott Salter on there. Uh, and also Jack Kelly's going to be doing some fan cams from the Cardiff City Stadium. And there will be an on the road as well. So make sure you subscribe to Fulhamish on YouTube. Uh, but for now, Jack Collins, thank you very much for being here today. Thank you, Sammy. And we will see you on Monday. You wipe. Right.